Welcome to Let's Do Business, hosted by Alma Bañuelos, San Diego Unified's podcast. Today we have the pleasure of chatting with George Harris, my colleague at San Diego Unified. George is the Director of Fiscal Controls and Information Systems for Facilities Planning and Construction. He oversees a number of district teams that ensure contract compliance, ranging from invoicing to the project stabilization agreement, making him the perfect subject matter professional in public works contract compliance. George has been with the district for over 10 years. Throughout his time at the district, George has been a great supporter of business outreach, always making himself available for presentations to the public and answering questions new vendors may have regarding labor relations, the PSA, and more. George, thank you for all that you do to support our business outreach team and for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me, Alma. It's, yeah. a, it's a pleasure to be here, and there's really nothing I enjoy more than telling folks uh, about what I do because it's so interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think, uh, you know, interest is, is, in, is an interesting word to use with contract compliance, but it's a, it's a necessary thing to know about, right? Absolutely. Um, we, we get a lot of contractors that are actually crossing over from, the pri- from private contracting, and uh, some of the contractors, they've excelled in the residential area, private works, um, they've probably been in business for years and now they're interested in maybe doing some work like agencies maybe they have a community school that's getting built and they're saying hey I've been doing construction for quite a few years I want to get involved with that there's definitely some things that they need to know about that may not be very fun or interesting to know about but necessary to succeed in public works uh what what are some like hot topics that you can think of that you would say, hey, let's have you have some information about this uh, before you you get into uh, public works. Well, if we're talking about folks who have started their careers or have long experience doing private work, moving into public works, uh, the first thing I would say is that, um, you know, public works is a lot more formal Mm. than what they're probably used to. If you, if you're, if you've worked your career, you know, doing residential housing, for example, a single house there, or maybe you built an apartment building, mm-hmm. you you know who the uh, you know who you're working for. You probably have consistent contact with them. There may be there, of course. There's always going to be plans and specifications and that type of thing, but the the relationship is usually a lot more. Um, what's the word? consensual. I mean, you know, the the owner reached out to you or you reached out to the owner. You have some type of relationship, professional or otherwise, and that forms the basis of your working relationship. Public works is is different. You know, you're working with a cold bureaucracy, (laughs) right, that doesn't really care about your individual welfare. I'm exaggerating. Of course. (laughs) But um, that's the biggest difference is things are a lot more formal. So when you think about uh, working in public works, the first thing is um, you're going to have a contract. It's going to be written. You're not going to have the same level of opportunities to negotiate the contract as you would in a private um, experience. The value of a public works contracts, particularly at San Diego Unified, one of our markers of uh, performance is 
how how well do we cover every single detail mm-hmm. so that the builder has no you know opportunity to put in their own thoughts about how things ought to be we we try to cover every Everything. single design consideration we try to determine where every nail is going to be uh, struck and where every you know saw cut is going to occur all that we try to do all of that in advance so that there's no room so that we don't have to worry about negotiating mm-hmm. uh, on the flyer as we go. Why do we do that? Because we do something called public bidding for mm-hmm. the most part, right? Mm-hmm. We try to make our specifications as uh, exacting as possible so that the builder who has skill and expertise in building can look at our plans and specs and say, okay, kind of like, you know, there was a show when I was young called Name That Tune, right? Mm-hmm. So I can name that tune in five notes. Well, we want folks to builders, sophisticated builders, to look at our plans and specs and say, you know, I can build that building and for X amount of dollars. Mm-hmm. They can make a profit doing that, and we can get a uh, quality building built. Yeah. So that's what we're looking for. You know, you bring up a good point because I, one thing that I've I have seen with some vendors that we've talked to and and they've bid on some of our our projects. Uh, they um, are really high in their price. Um, and when we talk to them, we say, hey, well, did you notice your, your pricing is so different um, from, uh, from from the other kind of lot of bidders where their pricing is a little closer. Yeah, varied, but, but definitely closer in the range. Um, and they say, oh, well, you know, we were looking at the specs and we saw that this and this was specced out, but we thought, hey, you know what? We're gonna propose something better. And that's not the case with maybe some in some public works, there's a little bit of wiggle room, but definitely for the school district, we are very specific in particular to bid to what we've posted and what we've solicited for. Absolutely, yeah. because uh, most of our work is, well, not most, but a lot of our work is low bid. Mm-hmm. So we're putting, like I said, a precise, we hope, <laughs> exacting, we hope, specifications out there and we want you to bid to that and you may have a better idea you you may have a better product or uh, a a better approach to building a a particular system or structure and you say you know well i can do it this way the way you designed it or i can do it this better way but it's going to cost you more Mm -hmm. well guess what you're going to lose to the person who says i'm going to price exactly what they built and i know i can do better and maybe once I get the job, a design professional, the, art, the district's architect or the project manager or the construction manager or someone else, maybe I can prevail upon them at, during the course of construction and maybe I can get a change order. Mm-hmm. That's the approach you have to take. Um, it's, it's, like I said, it's, it's a very formal relationship. So you're, you're, when you're bidding work, you're working with a... Um, an entity mm-hmm. that is really pretty sure of what they're looking for. Yeah. And so um, we're, we're not, you know, we're not looking for artists. Mm-hmm. We're looking for uh, skilled craftsmen mm-hmm. um, and, and building professionals. Yeah. 
Speaking to skilled craftsmen and building professionals, another thing to consider uh, for folks transitioning into public works from the private arena is um, prevailing wages and labor relations, right? And how that could impact pricing. I mean, that would impact you from literally from the beginning, and that includes estimating and pricing to right to the very end with various reporting and paying uh, to to uh, workers and all that kind of stuff. What would you say about yeah, considerations starting from that estimating point about regarding prevailing wages and labor relations? Yeah, well, certainly prevailing wages is something everyone needs to know about if you're going to do public works uh, in, in California or any kind of government public works. I, I believe so. Um, I, I think that works everywhere in the country. Mm-hmm. Think of prevailing wages as a minimum wage, right? So if you're a worker uh, in the private sector, there's a federal minimum wage, and then there's a California minimum wage. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, in the public realm, um, for reasons we don't need to get into, <laughs> For every skill, trade, and craft, uh, each of those crafts have negotiated their own minimum wages. So there's a minimum wage for painters. There's a minimum wage for electricians. There's a minimum wage for plumbers. Um, So what we call that is the prevailing wage. It varies. It's much more complicated than a single minimum wage for every worker in the state of California or every worker in in the country. Um, Prevailing wages are determined by the locality. So um, California, uh, some some trades, some crafts have a single prevailing wage for the entire state. Mm -hmm. Other crafts have um, prevailing wages that change based on where you are in the state. So if you're in a high cost area like San Francisco, um, and I don't know this to tr- be true, but let's just mm-hmm. say an electrician. An electrician in San Francisco may get paid a lot more than an electrician in, say, you know, Lassen County, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or an electrician uh, in, you know, um, uh, Imperial County. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Mm-hmm. So um, that's, that's an important thing to consider. Uh, you need to look into it. There are resources available to find out what the prevailing wages are in the locality. Um, it's a multi-tiered system. Like I said, there's a state prevailing wage uh, for some trades, and then some trades you have to look and see what it says for we're in Southern California, mm-hmm. so there may be a Southern California wage. There may be a San Diego County prevailing wage, or there may just be a city of San Diego prevailing wage. So you have to pay attention to that. The prevailing wage is the minimum that you must pay. In some cases, I mean, you can all, you're always free to pay more. But going back to our other example about, hey, I can build it better if I use these right. higher quality materials, Yes, that puts you at a competitive disadvantage when you're bidding. Now, um, the idea of the prevailing wage, um, very briefly, is that, you know, it's, it's about the idea of sustainability, mm-hmm. right? So you want to have a, a building community that can earn enough that, you know, people with expertise can continue to work in, in the state. Mm-hmm. So, you know, rather than this, you know, spiral race to the bottom and say, you know, 
let the market prevail and whatever people are willing to work for, that's what mm -hmm. they should make. That works fine the first time or the second time, maybe, maybe even the third time. But, you know, you don't get repeat builders. You don't get people who are building their skills. You don't get people who are improving in their, in their building career. And so the prevailing wage system and labor compliance, one of the goals is to create a sustainable supply of professional building professionals. And one of the elements of the prevailing wage is uh, that out of every, for every hour worked, a certain amount of money is set aside to do training. Mm -hmm. So to do apprentice training so that there is a, a ongoing uh, sustainable supply of high quality workers. And I love that uh, you, you gave us that, that explanation because I think a lot of times folks wonder, like, oh, what's the point of all this stuff? Like, wh why does it even matter? Like, I, in the private sector, does this even apply? And I can build things, you know, um, for a cheaper price if just, oh, you know, all these different levels um, yeah. of bureaucracy weren't involved. But, I, I mean, that's part of why the bureaucracies even exist and, yeah. and we're able to provide certain services for folks. You know, and I always fear, too, when folks come in from the private industry to public works that they may not take all of these uh, levels of contracting seriously. Um, there's whole departments right. within the agencies that take care of prevailing wage. And there's, you know, the Department of Industrial Relations where folks need to register to even work on our projects. We won't even consider a bit if folks don't have that DIR Absolutely. registration number. And those folks are also keeping tabs on what jobs you're working. Right. Are you paying those prevailing wages? So it's a it's a very important. It's very, it's critically important. I mean, I, it, today, before I came over, we mm -hmm. had an issue about licensing. Now, oh. business licenses, you know, you can hold yourself out as a, you know, as a shopkeeper Mm -hmm. without any particular, you know, degree or mm -hmm. certification or, or anything like that. But if you want to hold yourself out as a plumber, mm -hmm. well, you need a sp very specific license yes. to have that. Um, uh, you, you need to have certain skills in order to obtain that license mm -hmm. in, in order to do public works plumbing. Um, I think even private, you have to have a license yeah. to be, you know. So, so there there's... A number of, you know, economics, they call it barriers to entry, right? Mm -hmm. But it, again, it's the idea is that we want to have skilled, sophisticated people doing the, you know, most highest value projects for our most precious commodities, right? Yes. Our children, yes. right? I mean, you think about building a school yes. or building a hospital yeah. or or building a, you know, a, a military installation, oh you know, gosh, you, yes. the, there's a reason why you want to have the most experienced, high skilled people doing this stuff is because these are really important buildings that yes. have a lot of functionality and have to be safe. They have to work well, they have to work reliably. Yes. And so, um, there's a reason for all of this stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, um, again, if you, if you start with the original example of, Hey, I, you know, I built a, I built a couple of houses. Yeah. I think I can go build a school now. Yeah. You know, there's a lot, lot more to it than a that. A lot more to yeah. it, yeah. And especially, I think you bring up the good point of our, our most precious commodity. I think at all levels, folks recognize the importance of building a school, building a safe school, a safe building, 
um, that's going to last. And there's different levels to where um, we we do our best to ensure the safety oh, yeah. within those that building. And it starts from design. It starts from from DSA approving not just plans, but even some nuts and bolts that go oh, yeah. into schools right, and right. things that you don't even think like, oh, okay, why would that even matter? Yeah, yeah. there's a Department of State Architecture mm-hmm. that is concerned about health and safety. Yes. So first and foremost, a school has to be built safely, right? Mm-hmm. It has to withstand certain natural disasters. Yeah. In California, we have earthquakes. San Diego, some of our areas have flooding. Yeah. Um, you know, we have to be, uh, the, our buildings have to withstand that. A lot of times our buildings are not only built for the everyday use of a school, but they're also a, like a community center or an yes. evacuation center. Yes. So they have to be able to accommodate a really intense level of use. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, the builder who's building my new the new bedroom on my house, they all they have to worry about is pleasing me. Yes. They don't have to worry about... <laughs> the safety of, of that whole community. Yeah. So there's that. One of the latest hot topics is designing around safety to, you know, uh, what can we do as far as design and building to prevent or to minimize the effect of mass shooting incidents yes. and that kind of thing, you know, unnatural disasters. Unnatural. So there's a lot of stuff that goes into designing a building. And obviously, you know, when you're designing uh, such high-value important buildings you want to have the best type of uh, you want to have a high standard yeah. of skill yeah. in constructing those things you don't want someone who you know this is the first time they ever built the school and um you know they they think you know balsa wood and redwood and are all the same thing yeah. it's just wood it's just know? wood yeah <laughs> as long as it's the right measurement right. we're good yeah, yeah that's and, not going to fly and you don't want someone you know who uh last week they were you know you know building a uh a shed and mm-hmm. you know for their mother-in-law <laughs> to hold her her tool her garden tools yes. and this week they're building you know a hospital you don't want that kind of stuff yeah. you don't shade want structure for you, children yeah you don't want handshake deals yes. you know you want have you want to have a degree of confidence that the people you're doing work with uh, have co- have competence so yes. like one of the things I, I don't know if you're going to get into it but we in San Diego Unified we do something called pre-qualification yes Right. Think of that as just another layer of vetting above and beyond what the state does. The state says, okay, you have to have certain skill to get a license. Mm -hmm. All right. You got to have that. Yeah. But then we ramp it up even higher and say, well, you have to have a certain level of skill if you really want to do work for San Diego Unified. Skill and experience. Skill and experience. And and again, financial. um, uh, You you know, we have to. we need to know that you're going to be able to stay in business by building our school. Yes. And again, if you say, well, I can build that school and pay my workers 15 bucks an hour. Well, you know, I just drove by in and out. They're paying 17 bucks mm-hmm. an hour. And if you're paying 15 to build a school and they're paying 17 to flip hamburgers, you know, you're going to lose some workers every once in a while. So all of these things kind of work together. Yes. It's not a perfect system, but... When you think about it on a on a kind of a micro level, why these little individual decisions don't seem to make sense, if you look at it in a, in a big picture, it it tends to make more sense. Yeah. And, you know, we've been talking about a lot of topics that apply to 
contractors. But uh, even with the DSA, that actually applies to manufacturers and, and suppliers and vendors of products because I think we get that as well where folks say, well, I lit, you know, the Amazon warehouse with these types of lights. Why wouldn't the school district want them? Right. Well, we can't even tell you what lights to use. DSA tells us what right. lights and specific what right. specifications yeah. are appropriate. So not even San Diego Unified makes those calls yeah. um, at, life, at some points. Yeah. yeah, DSA is concerned about life, health, and safety. I mean, it's so, it's, these lights may be wonderful, but guess what? If you put them in at the scale of a school, of a school, they could be a fire hazard. They could. Maybe that's the problem, mm-hmm. or maybe they are emitting, you know, some type of unhealthy radiation. Which, in a, you know, if, if you're heating, if you're if you're heating a, a little greenhouse in your in your in your home, that's fine. Yeah. But if you're, you know, lighting up children and exposing them to, to radiation, eight to ten hours a day, eight to ten hours a day, that could be dangerous. So, yes. everything, you know, everything. materials. Supplies, products, everything goes into this. And that's why Public Works is a really complicated endeavor. Yeah. Uh, it's not overwhelming. It's not impossible. I mean, no. people are doing Public Works and making a whole lot of money yes. every single day. Yeah. But it's not something that you should get into lightly. It's something you should, you know, there's a lot of resources to help. Yes. Alma, uh, for, <laughs> for one, is excellent at helping people make the transition from private work into public works and giving you all the information, right? That's that's what you do. Is yes. you, 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 you can't teach a skilled carpenter to be a better skilled carpenter, but what you can do is tell them about, you know, prevailing wage. You can tell them about pre-qualification. Yes. All of the things that they're going to need to do on the business side in order to be successful in a public works environment. Right. I think you touch on a lot of good points, um, particularly, you know, that all the different levels, right? Gosh, well, I got my license and now I have to learn about prevailing wage. And then now I have to um, submit for a safety record number. And then now I have to uh, go for bonding and insurance. And now you want me to even pre-qualify? Doesn't all this stuff here show proof that I'm a, a good contractor? Yes, of course. But, you know, it, it's, the nature of working in public works. And guess right. what? If you're working as a subcontractor, you have to pre-qualify not only with the school district, but with every single prime that you're exactly. going to work with as well. Right. Because they also have, they you have know, their standards for yes. who they will work with. Yes. Again, these are in a lot, lot of cases, these are, you know, I mean, these are multi-million dollar projects that mm-hmm. take many, many months, sometimes yes. years. It's a big investment of everyone's time. Yeah. And you want to know if you're the school district, if you're a general contractor, if you're a subcontractor, you want to know that at the end of that, you're going to be able to survive, number one, and number two, make money so that you could then use that experience to go for, you know, a comparable or even bigger project or more projects next time around. Exactly. And I I think for us, our experience with really – either brand new vendors uh, who have just started their business, you know, maybe an electrical, uh, an electrician that worked with a bigger company and said, you know what, I'm, I want to do this on my own. And they're venturing into public works or a contractor that's already done work uh, privately but wants to venture into public works. Um, the ones that we've seen really succeed and grow and maybe start from a company of like three to five to now they have 10 trucks and 30 mm-hmm. workers and things like that 
are folks that started talking to us and then maybe one to two years later did their first bid to San Diego Unified because sometimes it does take that long. Now, I say that not to discourage folks, but to just consider, you know, the amount of preparation that it might take. And I also like what you said that, um, you know, we don't say this to scare people off. No, not at all. Just it's going to be a big investment. And if done right, there is a lot of money to be made Absolutely. because these projects are huge. I mean, we just had, we have four me- four active uh, proposition uh, measures. That's right. Prop S, Prop Z, Measure uh, y, 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 and Measure U. Right. And I think that totals $11.4 billion, $11.6 billion. I think it's $11.4 billion. Billion with a B. A lot of money. A lot of money. A whole lot of money. <laughs> I think it's 11.8 Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then there's state matching funds on yes. top of that. Billions and billions of dollars. Yes. You know, a lot of money. A lot of money. Out there. And, um, yeah, so, um, oh, I, I was going to just make the point about, you know, starting small or however you want to phrase it. You know, I, I, I compare it to, you know, like sports, mm-hmm. right? Um you know, you have a lot of folks who, you know, they, they, they were just, they've been stars all their lives, mm-hmm. right? Every level, they were like the best person. You know, I was watching the uh, recent um, pro- broadcast and they had LeBron James and it was the 20th anniversary of the first high school game that was broadcast nationally. I'm like, oh. wow, LeBron is still doing it 20 years later. He's been a star since he was 15 years old. Oh, my gosh. Right? But then you look at other folks who are late bloomers. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll name two. Mm-hmm. Um, one is uh, Kawhi Leonard. You know, he came out of high school. Nobody knew who he was. Nobody. Out of yeah. high school. He wasn't highly regarded. He went to San Diego State. I don't think he was named a starter the first day he walked on the campus. San Diego State knew. Right. They didn't know what they were getting. They knew they were getting a good guy who wanted to work hard. Mm -hmm. And then he, you know, he built himself up into being an excellent college player. Mm -hmm. And then he got drafted. And, yeah, he was, I think, a late lottery pick or something Mm -hmm. like that and thought, you know, this guy will have a nice journeyman career. He, he may be a starter, but, you know, he's not going to be an all-star. Yeah. yeah. Guess what? He became, like, one of the most valuable players in the NBA. Yes. And he did it not because he was just tagged from day one. Yeah. He put in the work every yeah. day and committed to being a little bit better today than he was yesterday mm-hmm. and a little bit better tomorrow than he is today. Yeah. And if you take the long view on this stuff, um, learn as much as you can. Um, try to, you know, check your ego a little bit and say, hey, I, there are some things I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, listen to the right people. Yes. Um, you know, not everyone who uh, comes to you with information is your friend. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times they have a, a you know, an interest, their own interest. Yeah. Um, one thing I can say for San Diego Unified is that uh, your team, uh, the outreach team, Kind of, you know, again, your your interest is the best interest of of your of the contractors, and my team, the compliance folks, um, we are aware that there are a lot of competitors out there, you know, a lot of stakeholders out there who are trying to compete for uh, the hearts and minds of the contractor. And what we try to do is be um, 
you know, it's fair and balanced yeah. and provide objective information. Uh, we, do, we do have the advantage of history and you know, seeing so many of these projects yeah. over the years that we can tell you, well, you know, in this scenario, this is probably what's going to happen. So if they're telling you X, I'm telling you uh, X, not nah, probably not true, or maybe it is true. Sometimes you don't, you know, it depends on the situation. So I know I tell folks um, for projects that are covered by our project labor agreement, project stabilization agreement, that they should come to us. Uh, when they have questions, you don't, you know, the, we are a resource. There are other resources out there, but we're a resource. Yeah. And the one thing that I can tell you is that I will always tell you what I believe the contract says, mm -hmm. not what I want or what someone else wants. I'll tell you what, or what you want even. I'm going to tell you what the contract says. And if you t give me your arguments or your position, I'm going to tell you the strength of your position. I'm going to tell you the weaknesses of your position. Yeah. But always give you the you know, opportunity to pursue yeah. the course that you feel is appropriate. I'm glad you, you bring up the project uh, uh, stabilization agreement. That's what us at San Diego Unified call our, what <coughs> most folks probably know as a project labor agreement. Um, in San Diego County, we're seeing more and more of them. The airport has one. Uh, San Diego uh, or Sandag um, is also kind of starting something like a project labor agreement as well. And other public agencies are gaining more and more project labor agreements throughout. So I know for folks that have not worked with one, it can be very intimidating. And, and like you said, you know, you hear all these different opinions coming out you from left and right. And all of those opinions are valid because, of course, folks, you know, have their opinions about right. who to work with. And, and they're very emotional um, and heated and passionate at times. But uh, I, what I try to tell folks that tell me, well, why do you all even have this? And to me, I'm not here to communicate to you the why. Right. The why is beyond me. It is above right. my pay grade. Right, right, right. What I'm it's a here, policy decision. Policy decision, yeah. yes. Right. And, and really, there's nothing that at our level we could do to, yeah. to say yay or nay, you know, right. to, to anything. What we are here to do, I think, more than anything is to educate folks on what it is so that you could then make an educated decision right. on whether it's a go or no go for your right. business. Um, my fear is that folks will only listen to the side that, you know, is just uh, out of passion or, or, you know, so many different levels just say it's a bad thing, you know? Right. And then and then there's a loss of opportunity in contracting with billions of dollars with a lot of money that's out there. And sometimes some of the folks that are even saying no, they're still working yeah, on projects, right? right? Absolutely. They're still making money. They're, they're, they're holding their nose and bidding that work. And, you know, I guess they hold their nose when they go to the bank to <laughs> deposit those those construction yeah, checks. Yeah, they still don't like the RPSA <laughs> right, just right. as much as they, you know, when they're out hey, there, maybe, but they're making it work. Maybe as much as they don't like me personally, but, you know, that's okay. <laughs> it's a business relationship, and, yeah. and, and we make it work. Um, let me say just a couple of things yeah. about project labor agreements generally. So we talked about prevailing wage, yes. right? And, and I said prevailing wage is like a minimum wage, but it's more complicated. Mm -hmm. So... Um, a project labor agreement is yet one more layer of complication. There are common elements that you will see from 
one agreement with one public agency to another agreement with another public agency, but each one is individually uh, drafted and negotiated between the, 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 the unions on one side and the public agency on the other. So that's something you need to keep in mind. Just because you had a bad experience because you didn't like a, a, a section or a, a, a provision of one project labor agreement for one agency doesn't mean that our agreement has that provision and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So you shouldn't let one experience one way or the other um, you know, influence your, your view on the, the idea. You need to do the work. Right. Mm -hmm. You need to do the investigation, ask questions, figure out, okay, if there was some feature of this project labor agreement that I didn't like over there, do you have that in San Diego Unified or how do you handle this situation? That's what we're here to tell you. Mm -hmm. And and then we can, you know, equip you to make good decisions. So that's one thing I'd say is that every project labor agreement is different. Right. Um, Some project labor agreements, uh, they only deal with one project. I mean, the airport is a prime example. Yes. They're building a new terminal. That new terminal was $4 billion or something (laughs) like that. It's one agreement, one project for the whole thing. There was uh, the the dam projects, Mm -hmm. you know, one thing. Ours is a little different because ours covers a program. We have Mm -hmm. 200 schools, um, individual projects. We have, uh, you know, thousands of individual projects and each one are, you know, not each one, but many of them are individually bid. Sometimes they're packaged into, you know, two Mm -hmm. or three projects into one contract vehicle, but it's a series of, you know, a number of little projects. So um, you need to understand that, yeah, you have this agreement that applies to this project, but what does it really mean for a project that's, you know, a flooring contract? You're only doing flooring. What, what does it really mean versus a contract where you're building a comprehensive high school right. uh, as a $100 million project? What does it mean? Right. It, you know, there, it, it can mean different things. The same agreement can have different impacts depending on the project that it's covering. So ask questions. Yeah. And, you know, you know I, I, I'm the last people, person to give business advice, but, you know, have a strategy, have a plan. Commit to being better every day. You know, use your resources. It's, you know, it's kind of basic, yeah. basic information. Yeah. Well, George, our time is just about up, but I know we could talk about this topic for a long, long time. I mean, the the project uh, labor agreements for us, project stabilization agreement, we could do probably a whole series on that. Yeah. And, you know, maybe I'll ask you about that a little later down the line. Oh, yeah. But- I'd love to go into the, <laughs> the ugly details of, you know, core workers versus, no, I'm, I'm joking. But um, <laughs> but I think the key thing to take away from, from our conversation today is that do your homework, you know, yeah. study up and be ready for some of these things that may not be as familiar in the private sector, uh, which are everyday practice in the public work sector. Prevailing wages is a very important one. Labor relations, uh, the project labor agreements, if they apply, and making sure that you are bidding to the specifications and the contract. The good thing, I think we've talked about a lot of like, here's a requirement and this and that. But the good thing about public works, I think, is that, you know, there's no like, oh, I changed my mind. You know, it's not uh, on a whim. 
kind of type thing. It has to be written in and change orders need to be approved by not just both sides, maybe three sides and, you know, all kinds of things need to happen before something major like that changes. So at least you know what you're getting into. If you received, you know, when you received your contract and you read it from front to back, then you know exactly what you're getting into. So, And I would add one more thing about public works is that in the grand scheme of things, you know, with all the complications, all of the bureaucracy, all the regulations, all the requirements, if you can get over that hurdle, get over those hurdles, at the end of the day, it's about, you know, who can provide the best product, who can bid competitively. It's not based on your, you know, your family history yeah. or, or who, who, who you were related to or, you know, your last name or, you know, whose brother. It, it's, yeah. we, we bid things in a, you know, that's the, that's the other side of being a cold, hard bureaucracy mm-hmm. is, you know, we make these decisions uh, and it's really a, a level playing field. Now, yes. you do have to have, you know, have to overcome some barriers to get on the playing field. But yes. once you're there, it's really a level playing field. And the people who have done well, you, you, if you were looking at the uh, biographies of the people who have done well in public works and the ones who didn't do well, I mean, if you just looked at the biographies, mm-hmm. you wouldn't be able to predict who are the ones that oh, yeah. would do well and who were the ones that w- wouldn't because... It's not based on your history. It's not based on who you are, who you come from, you know, your race, your, yeah. your, your, um, what do they call it? Cast. Yeah. yeah none of that. <laughs> it's based on how well you can do the job yeah. and how well you can express your ability to do the job in the, um, in the different yeah. documents. Yeah. Great, great words to, to end our session today. Thank you so much for joining us. And I think uh, this hopefully will start for you listeners out there, really an idea of kind of next steps to dipping your toes into public works. Definitely a lot of homework, definitely a lot of research, but worth it uh, when it comes to the cash that can be made. Uh, thank you again, George, for joining us. And we hope to have you maybe at another one of our episodes uh, for another topic. And um, until next time, thanks, everyone. Right. Thank you. Let's do business.